we have a new recruit to PayPal. We really wanted to make sure that they understand at that point in time that PayPal cares about performance, that when you start coding or when you start designing anything, performance has to be something that should be the founding principle of it and not an afterthought. That was Rifat Rajali, and this is Chasing Waterfalls, a podcast featuring conversations with the people working to make the web faster for everyone. My name is Tim Kedlick. I'm a web performance consultant and your host. I do have to apologize a little bit for the audio on this one. So before deciding to do the podcast, I went out and I invested in a nice mic and good equipment to make this sound as good as possible. And I was really excited. Rifat was the first person I contacted to interview. I knew right away I wanted her on the show. It was only after talking to her that I realized that my MacBook had defaulted to the built-in mic. The whole time I thought I was recording on this really nice equipment, and it was just the built-in mic. So that means that the audio on this one is a little quieter, maybe a little bit more echoey than it usually would be. Stephanie Audio did a really good job cleaning up as much as she could, but there's only so much magic she can perform. So apologies, it's not going to be the most pristine audio in the world. That being said, the conversation was way too good not to share. Rifith is, uh, she's brilliant. And she shares a ton of information around what PayPal has been doing now, you know, some of the wins that they're finding. But also just one of my favorite things about the conversation was hearing how it all started. A lot of people are, are at that point where they're like, how do I get my organization to even care about performance? And this story from PayPal is very much grassroots. Rifith talks about it originating from a hackathon project and then months and months of advocating performance to different people inside of different parts of the organization before this became a thing. So it's a really great conversation. Before we get into it, I do want to thank Speedcurve again for sponsoring. As I've mentioned before, I'm a huge, huge fan of Speedcurve. I'm very honored to have them sponsoring the podcast. And sort of piggybacking off of the conversation with Refith, one of the things that she brings up is she talks about the importance of tying these performance improvements to business metrics and getting A-B experiments and things like that up and running. To me, it's one of the most important things you can do. If you want performance to stick around in your organization, eventually you have to show a benefit. You have to show some impact for the business, for the user, for that to stick. So one of the first things I recommend any organization do if they don't have it is get real user data in place and then find a way to connect that to user engagement and, and business metrics so you can quickly see and identify a correlation. There's almost always a correlation. It just depends on where and which metrics in your particular situation. And Speedcurve lets you do that. So Speedcurve's uh, real user monitoring offering is called Lux. And out of the box, Lux is going to track how you're performing in the real world with a bunch of beautiful dashboards, including user engagement charts. Um, so right away, you're able to see a connection between things like, you know, start render and bounce rate, for example. That's one that I see a lot with the clients that I've worked with, those sorts of things. But where the real power comes in is through customizing that. So Lux has an add data API. It's a one-line JavaScript call that you include in your snippet when you embed it into your page. And you can add any metric you want to that. You can add your cart size. You can add conversion rate. You can add... AB segment information. You can add user account information like account ID or username, things like that. Or you can add additional performance metrics. I use it for you know some performance-related headers and things like that. Where this comes in from a business perspective, though, is you can add things like your conversion data to Lux and then start to see a correlation between cart size and load time or start render and conversion rate. 
And those are really powerful connections to make because those are what's going to help you continue to get the resources that you need to have available to you to make performance a long, like a long-term investment rather than just a short spike here and there. So again, you can use SpeedCurve. You can get a free trial, 30-day free trial with SpeedCurve. Uh, if you go to speedcurve.com, highly recommend checking it out. Immediately start adding some of those important metrics through the ad data API. Really identify what those connections are as early as possible because that's going to help you sustain those efforts. So again, go to speedcurve.com to give that a shot. And thank you again, SpeedCurve, for sponsoring. And now onto the conversation. So Rifa, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I was really looking forward to this conversation. So I'm really glad it worked out. Same here, Tim. I mean, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're at PayPal. What exactly do you do there? I'm a mobile developer advocate at PayPal, and I work on all things performance. By that, I mean I work with the individual web application teams, the platform teams, find out solutions on how we can make web faster and how we can make our web pages accessible to everyone in the world. I mean, that is my unified goal at work. That sounds awesome. So that's like, that's everything. That is web, that's native, that's not just one little piece of it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we work very closely with the native team as well because we found like a lot of problems are very common between the web application world and the native application in terms of uh, like what are the performance bottlenecks and how do we uh, fix and how do we derive solutions that would work common for both the worlds. When you joined, were you immediately looking into performance? Like were you brought on for that kind of a role or is that something that happened a little later? Oh no, I mean I was a software engineer. I joined PayPal as a senior software engineer and I was more into web application development. And this transformation of role into a mobile developer advocate happened a couple of years ago and this transition started when I personally developed a passion for performance and mostly into the web application and I started working on an initiative that I spoke with my leadership and I started in my team and optimizing the web apps and um, I brought together the team and we showed some really great benefits that we could get out of performance. And then eventually I transferred myself into a role because I found a great interest and my heart was lying in improving performance and making impact for whole of the company and not very specific to like one specific uh, team. That is how my role transferred to what I'm today. There is a there is a lot to unpack there. So so back that up. If you could remember back to when this kind of you developed the passion and kind of started going with this, right? I get a lot of questions from people that are at that stage. Like they're interested in performance or, you know, they're sold on performance being something that they feel should be prioritized in their company. But then getting that buy-in from the other folks is can be really challenging. What was that process like? How did you do that? How did you manage to take this from something that you were really passionate about to something where the company saw the benefit and said, yeah, you know what, we should be investing in this as an organization. Yeah, absolutely. So every year I host a hackathon for my organization. So I host and I also participate in the hackathon. So me and my team met, we went ahead and built a prototype called PayPal Lite. So we wanted to show to our uh, leaders how a very lighter version of PayPal could be beneficial to our customers and how this is something would also be driving up our revenue. So that is how I actually started and I indeed built the uh, PayPal Lite using uh, Polymer. 
Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, PayPal is completely a React workshop. We really wanted to see something. We also wanted to learn new in our hackathon, and we also wanted to create something new. So this is where an idea of the progressive web apps I started. And on the prototype that I built, we went ahead and we explained it to our leaders, and we got their traction. So everybody was looking into their code base, but we our idea was something out of it and we went into a larger picture of it. Uh, so we again went back to our vice president, we pitched the idea again because our 10 minutes was not enough. So we, we had like 30 minutes one-on-one -on -one and we explained to him very clearly about how this idea could actually transfer into a production and what would be uh, the benefits in terms of our customer delight and in terms of our uh, net new actives. So that is how this journey actually started. And as you said, it was not an easy journey. We had a lot of challenges because it is a larger organization and to transform a hackathon idea into action. There are a lot of team players at companies about like, you know, we have our product, we have our analyst and we have our designers and we have our engineering group. So it's like four to five teams we have to come together, agree, and uh, every single stream has a different leader. So it's, it was more about like, you know, talking to the leaders, convincing them. We first went to the engineering leaders and then we went to our product leader. Our pitch was totally different. When we went to our product leaders, we spoke more about like the business numbers and the business benefits. When we spoke to our engineering leaders, it was more about our consumer delight and how and why it is really important to create a lighter version of whatever we are trying to do. And then when we go to our analysts, we really wanted to tell them about how they could tie the numbers and show there is a business benefit out of um, the performance optimizations that we would be doing. So it actually took a six months of time period to get this initiative. Initially, I was the only engineer that was, you know, started to work on it. And eventually I could bring my team together. And as I said, it became a larger initiative across the organization. Once we were able to built to do our changes in terms of an A-B testing. So this was a huge win for us because all the theory that we are talking about, like the performance will drive our business numbers. We have to show the actual data for any uh, leader or your teams to be coming. Right. I mean, that's a lot of effort and it wasn't easy to do performance optimization under an uh, A-B testing. So our team went for it and we were able to actually show that, like, you know, the numbers, the prospects increase for the people who were coming under our uh, lighter version of our applications. Okay, so you did end up shipping PayPal Lite, went out somewhere, or did this, were the experiments done with full-blown PayPal just with optimizations applied? So I started all this work in a consumer onboarding team. So, I mean, you could imagine there are like N number of applications when you see a PayPal site. And we started this optimization on like one single team. And when I'm talking about an A-B testing, we just, we did not roll out a new application. We actually did a feature-based application. So 50% of our traffic, we were showing a larger bundle, like an unoptimized and older version. And 50% of our traffic, we were showing an optimized version of our JavaScript, an optimized version of our CSS. So that is how we were able to measure. Nice. That whole concept of, of showing the business benefit can be really tricky for a lot of folks too, because like you said, it's not an easy thing to set up a proper A-B experiment for something like performance, particularly if you have you know, other features or other changes kind of out there. So did you put 
How long do you run that experiment for? And did you have to make sure that nothing else kind of got shipped during that time? Did you have to isolate it in some way or how did that work out? It was not necessarily that, you know, we have to stop the other experiments because we had like 50-50 of our traffic. So it's all orthogonal experiments, meaning like if you're 50% of your traffic, you will be able to see the other experiments that we are running. And there is an equal opportunity for the other 50% of the traffic that you will be able to see the other features and the experiments that we are running. But as you called out, like there were some of the optimization that we were not able to do it as an A-B testing. And what we actually could measure out of it was only a subset of the optimization that we were able to do. So that is like one thing that we have to take it with a pinch of salt. Uh, but an, another interesting thing happened was uh, there was a marketing team that also did some of the optimization, but they took an another route. What they did was they did not do the way that like you know our team worked on. So our sure. team was like very genuinely doing a, an older version of the JavaScript to 50% and a newer version of the JavaScript to 50%. They did was they performed all the optimization in the code base and they introduced an artificial latency to a certain group of users. So the work was easier for them because they know like when they started, say for example, it was like 10 seconds and they had reduced it to six seconds. When they did an uh, experiment, they added that extra four seconds. They introduced a latency um, so the work was easier and they were able to um, like, you know, experiment and show a similar business benefits. So really there are like two uh, options available and it is totally dependent on the teams to pick up like which one they would want to choose. The, the artificial latency one is kind of interesting because you read sometimes about like Google or these other organizations that do this, like, oh, we slowed it down just to see what happens. In your case, it sounds like, I, and I don't want to pick too much on the, the example you gave, but you made it sound as if they made the optimizations and had a faster version and then slowed it down to what it used to be, not necessarily. So nobody was getting a slower experience here, right? It was the improvements were made. We slow it down to kind of compare the improvement versus this artificial delay that was roughly what they were getting anyway. Is that about right? What I was trying to say was like 10 seconds, for example, it was taking like, you know, the marketing pages to load. Say that right. all the optimization and they reduced it to, say, for example, six seconds, right? But when they wanted to test it out and see like what are the business benefits that they are getting from this 10 second to six seconds, they introduced an artificial four second latency for the users that are falling under the control. So the control users were actually seeing a 10 second latency and the treatment users were seeing optimized six second latency. So we were also able to prove that the users that they were seeing a 10 second latency, they had a larger drop off. Like all the theory that we know about, like, you know, what are the disadvantages of having a larger uh, time to interactive, where we were able to prove that there were larger drops off in the more optimized version, we were able to see more prospects coming in that was driving more of a revenue. That's the kind of thing, when you can get that data, then that just expedites the whole thing, right? Suddenly everybody's kind of paying attention when they weren't before. Is it still like that? Do you still run experiments pretty often? So these experiments, especially on the optimization, how long do we run and uh, all that are decided by our analysts because they have like around six to eight weeks of time period even to get a valid data and to have the pool of data for them to derive any conclusions out of it. 
So after a six to eight weeks, the product owners usually decide like, do they really want to uh, continue it? Or if they are able to see the business benefits, we would immediately shut it down because we have already an optimized version and there is really no meaning to show an unoptimized and a longer version to the users. So mostly it's a team by team basis. But if you ask me overall, we have shut down this experiments once we have those numbers and once we are able to make that use case to our leadership to say that, hey, we did these optimizations and these are business benefits. We had talked a little bit before, and you had mentioned, I believe, that you had been doing a lot with like differential serving. Did that have to go through that experiment process as well? Like, and what is the life cycle, I guess, of that? Is it one of those things where it's, you know, you're like, hey, this is a cool thing that sounds like it would be good for performance, and then let's test it and see what happens. And if it works, it goes to production. Is that typically how it all works out? Uh, yeah, differential serving is something that we tried out new in our uh, Send Money team. Uh, so one of our engineers, he used this uh, differential serving and he was able to reduce around 25 KB GZIP of uh, the JavaScript. That was yeah, before we, I actually, before we get too far into that, that's fantastic savings. But before we get too far into it, I guess we should back up just in case anybody's listening who isn't familiar with what differential serving is. Can you explain that quick? So we have our modern browsers and then we have our legacy browsers. So all our modern browsers, it's not necessarily that we have to send all of our Babel polyfills. Like the code for the Babel polyfill is not necessary for the modern browsers. But for our legacy browsers, they are not advanced enough to have this newer ES6 modern JavaScript. So currently what is happening in most of our web application is that we are delivering our Babel polyfill that is like, you know, to our modern browsers and to our legacy browsers. So differential serving would help us create two different bundles, a leaner version for your modern browsers because the support is already available and a little bit a larger version, including a Babel polyfill for your legacy browsers. So that is about the idea behind the differential serving. Perfect. And so you found that you saved 25K gzip uh, from your JavaScript bundle like this? Yeah. Nice. And then, so did you roll that out then and like test that in production? And was there a real world impact that you could point to? I mean, I'm not going to put you on the spot. I don't expect you to bust out business metrics, but were you able to see like it made some noticeable impact? So we did not deliver just the differential serving in like one release, differential serving along with the other optimization. Sure. Uh, so I may not be able to uh, really point out and say like this was a business benefit out of the differential serving. But when you start optimizing, you will come to a stage to count on like even one KB or two KB or five KB. So that is the point every developer would reach to. And a 22 KB or a 25 KB of a JavaScript from <laughs> a differential serving was a huge win for us. I mean, I will take it that way. No, it's a, I mean, that is a big chunk in one shot. You're right. And eventually you get to that point, too, where if you've been doing this for a few years, I mean, you said, I think 2017 was when you built the light and kind of started on that route. If you've been working at it a couple of years, those big optimizations become harder and harder to come by because you're, you're, you know, you've taken care of a lot of that low hanging fruit by then. So anything like that is worth celebrating. You know, that's one thing that Lara Hogan has talked a lot about, you know, when she was at Etsy, they always celebrated the big performance wins to get everybody excited. Is that something PayPal does anything like that? Or I think our uh, celebration, I will, I can explain to you like how, I, how we celebrated. Sure. So though we started this with like, you know, one application, okay, I started with my own team, like a consumer onboarding team. Very quickly, I figured out that, you know, I was expecting a larger, like, you know, a turnout uh, for PayPal, but uh, it was not happening. What was happening is like 
you click on any widget in PayPal, it is actually moving to one another application. But I was optimizing one app, but the other app was not optimized. So we are we were seeing drop-offs, and it was like you know not uh, turning out to be what we were expecting. So we went to I can't remember the leadership, and we said like, hey, you know what? We have to design solutions at scale, and we want to make sure that like every single app at PayPal is actually you know performant, and only then we can like everybody's effort becomes fruitful and we will be able to see a larger net acres. So our celebration was actually reforming a performance team and our leadership, uh, paving the way for us to form this focus team. I mean, that is where I belong to right now and very thankful to the PayPal leaders and leadership that gave us an opportunity. And I, to me, that was a huge celebration because like we announced in our all hands and our leadership calls us like this is one of the highest priority for PayPal. So that is the actual celebration for us. Yeah, I, that's as a performance nut, I think that's a fantastic celebration. So this is a recent development, like the, the having a dedicated performance team. Now, the structure on that, is it the folks on the performance team, do they come from, is there somebody from each individual unit or team that's representing that performance team? Or is it just a dedicated team that that's all they do is performance stuff? How does that structure kind of look like? That's a great question. So the members in my team, these people are handpicked because we are very, very passionate about like, you know, improving performance. So because in a larger organization, it's not about like always rolling out like new applications and because starting something from the base, it's like it's always good, but it is not always feasible. So our team focuses on, okay, you have an existing application. How do you improve performance? But at the same time, PayPal is all about like moving, taking and walking along with the technology benefits. So what could be the next generation framework for PayPal? So we are not doing this optimization, but everything is inbuilt. So my team is kind of working on both the efforts to help the teams. Like if you are up for building something new, like what is a framework you could use? But if you're not built for up for building something new, how do you actually improve your performance in your existing application? We are only actually a four member team. So how do we do this across scale, right? Yeah. So yeah. We, we go ahead and actually hunt for people. We call them as performance champions in each of the uh, teams. So the, like I have always found that one or two engineers in a team have a passion for this performance. So we have identified them as our point of context. So anything performance related for their team, we put them responsible and we work with them very closely in all those initiatives. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So just to so, so recap, so make sure I'm following, you got four folks, that's kind of the core performance team, but then to make sure that, that every team is able to tackle their own kind of performance stuff as it comes up, there's these champions that you've identified and, and they're the representatives, so to speak, from that team. Getting that education across a large organization can be very challenging. It's a, and it's a big piece of establishing any sort of performance culture that fits. So how do you disseminate that knowledge? We literally brainstormed about this because as you're saying, like, like there are tens of thousands of people across the world that are working for my company. And how do we do this? So we are, we are actually starting this team only in San Jose right now. And we have started like three pillars. So one is how do we bring this culture shift in the minds of like, you know, engineers, product owners, designers, and even leaders, right? I mean, how do we start uh, infusing this concept of performance in them? And to go in a little bit of detail into that, for example, if we have a new recruit to PayPal, we really wanted to make sure that they understand at that point in time, 
that PayPal cares about performance, that when you start coding or when you start designing anything, performance has to be something that you, th that should be the founding principle of it and not an afterthought. So we, we are working on creating learning videos that are very specific to like, you know, PayPal. And then I think I spoke to you about this, like my team hosts a weekly workshop or a talk. I tweeted about it as well. So that is an opportunity like, you know, where we bring in people. We have to constantly talk about it. We have to constantly uh, show people like how can you know improve performance in their day-to-day -day, uh, activities when they are coding so that is something we do and also we have a lot of other ideas like we are planning to host like performance hackathons I mean it's all about like how often we talk about it and how often we communicate to our developers about the technologies and the techniques like how do they improve it and once you bring this culture shift like starting with smaller teams i think that's a huge win because we have I mean the team that i belong to we have very successfully built the culture and now that i'm out of my team it is already embedded in them like you know nobody has to tell the developers about like important so it's like just one time thing but doing is cross like all the organization of course it will take time but we are working on like these are some of the ideas that we are currently are doing at PayPal. It's a continuous process, it's a journey. I love the idea of having like some videos or like resources that are available right away as like the onboarding process to kind of set the tone from the beginning. It's interesting because just listening to you talk about this being a journey and you know how often you're talking about it, it, it sort of mirrors you know, when we talk about performance monitoring, we always talk about like the more you integrate performance into the process, like you know, checking at build time and more places that you're monitoring and tracking things, the more likely it is that you're going to pay attention to it and not miss it. And this is basically like a mirror of that, except people, right? Like not tools, but we're talking about like integrating performance at so many different checkpoints along the way, like on the onboarding and on weekly things and on maybe a little bit later, like hackathon kind of stuff. And it's, it feels like a very similar thing going on. Yeah, so I was speaking about performance, but I can also talk about the tools, right? I mean, we also make sure that at every stage, we check on the performance budgeting. During development, mostly it is Webpack, so we configure the Webpack to indicate immediately, like, are we just exceeding our performance budget? And then in our CI, we have integrated with the Google Lighthouse. So when we submit our PRs and when our CI goes on, we get an immediate report on uh, where do applications. So this is uh, this is something that we have started from February. So like, you know, one by one, we are actually getting into the process of integrating the CI with the Google Lighthouse. And then of course in live, we have our in-house tool that is actually capturing the real user monitoring data. But the one thing that I'm planning to build, I mean, this is for the future, really looking forward to do an automated analysis, like bottleneck analysis from the real time live data itself. So that is a design that I have put forward right now, but we will be taking it up like towards the end of the year. So that's interesting. So the idea being that it can take the RUM data that you're collecting and then sort of automatically kind of almost surface a lighthouse-ish report, right? Like these are the bottlenecks you're identifying based on the RUM data? Yeah, I mean, it's just that the lighthouse is mostly a synthetic testing, right. right? But what I'm talking about is we already consume those millions of data in our RUM, right? So I'm talking about consuming a little bit more from a resource API. So what we have from is a navigation API, performance navigation API. So I'm looking forward to collect more information about from the resource API and do an automated analysis, like a bottleneck analysis, and put it out to our developers upfront, like what is the bottleneck? So currently it is mostly manually done. So we are looking forward to automate that process. 
it's great to have things like Lighthouse and absolutely people should have things like that built in like that synthetic testing and those benchmarks and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's the rum that's actually, that's what matters. So if you can get some sort of process to identify those bottlenecks in a way and stay on top of those so that it's not requiring somebody to go in and you know, do it, you know, on some sort of regular basis, or maybe they still do it sometimes, but like at least give them a head start. That sounds like a huge win. Yeah. And also in PayPal, we have a collaboration with a company called Catchpoint. So sure. they have the servers like all around the world. It is a synthetic test. Like they hit our PayPal endpoints, like from the servers all around the world, and they have some amazing dashboard and uh, they give us like insight analysis. So we wanted to cover all the areas like in the live, we have our real user monitoring data, we have our catch point integration, but I'm looking forward to build a tool to consume this real user monitoring data and do an automated uh, bottleneck analysis. So we're really looking forward to touch all the boundaries possible. Oh, very cool. So you mentioned when we first got into that build process tool thing, you threw up the term budgets. Do you have hard, a hard number somewhere on some metrics? So performance budgeting, we are currently working on, like again, we wanted to automate it because like every single day we are pushing code and at PayPal, like it's on every sprint release, like every two weeks we kind of push code. So we really wanted to see something to automate it and find out like how much it is changing. So we are working with our web platform teams to build a dashboard to say like, hey, these are the applications. These are the budgeting that we need. And then where do each of these apps and where do each of these teams stand in terms of like against this budgeting? So that is something we are working on. So probably in June sometime, I think we'll be publishing to our um, Oh, cool. Team. So in this dashboard would be like displayed or present for the entire, you know, all the different teams to be able to see at any standpoint, like how they're standing up and stacking up. So we're on the real user monitoring data. So we're looking forward to embed this information as well on the performance budgeting. So you're right. I mean, it's like one single point where any application can actually come and see like where do they stand in terms of their uh, performance budgeting. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so in the meantime, do they have hard goals or budgets like, for example, Lighthouse runs right on the PRs. Is there a hard number that you're targeting there in terms of the score? Like, is it or is it more like kind of just we're running it to kind of keep tabs on it, but we're not necessarily aiming for 90 or, or whatever. Um, so we have goals. Uh, we at PayPal, we have a team called as a site speed team. So they are like our Uber um, performance. Team. So, and this is different than the performance team. Yeah. There's a site speed team and a performance team. Okay. So the site speed team is the one that would does this market research that talks to our um, merchants, that talks to our consumers, get the feedbacks, get the surveys done, understand what are the real time, um, like, you know, latency and performance problems. And then they trickle down and tell us like, hey, you know what, um, this is the goal. So for the, as a company that we are looking for, what currently is like for a first time users in a 95th percentile uh, to make our web pages interactive within five seconds. And for a repeated users, we are looking at two to three seconds. And I think our leadership want to have a North Star goal of like even our first time users, we want it at two seconds. So all the performance budgeting actually is derived from these numbers. Okay, if we are looking at five seconds, and um, of course, like every company has their infrastructure issues and everything, right? So with our current infrastructure, what is that we could really achieve? Like what is a feasible and a realistic budgeting? So we have derived it from that number 
down to like okay if this is my goal for my first time user in a slower 3g maybe at a 440 kb per second like what could be the size of my assets that i can actually give it to the browser so we have derived it from our goals which makes sense it sounds like right now maybe those are more like their goals the budgets are not necessarily breaking things as in like breaking builds or anything like that is there any plan to kind of push it to the extreme at some point or do you see that as like i guess do you see that as ever a possibility because i know it's always a risk like you know if, it, if it's breaking things too aggressively like folks are really going to get annoyed with it but on the other hand if it's not like somehow introducing at least some pause you know there's always the possibility that someone's going to push through anyway so how are you kind of planning on balancing that to be very honest, our leadership is very serious about this performance numbers. We have spoken to an extent of like if an application does not meet this target, we are not going to actually release it in production. But to reach there, of course, we have to do our homeworks. We have to educate them like everything that we spoke about. We have to help them to make the culture shift. I mean, that is where like, you know, my team is currently working on. And then we will eventually, like once we all set up the stage, we would eventually come to a position to tell our teams that, hey teams, we have given you everything you needed, but if you're not reaching this performance budgeting and if you're not reaching our goals, maybe we'll not be allowed to production. So that that is something that we will be eventually landing on. It's always an interesting, I think, delicate balance between finding ways to enforce that stuff and stay on top of it without it becoming a chore to do so. You could see that being a very real thing, like the whole suddenly your your system is more annoying than it is productive or the performance team becomes more of a bad cop kind of a thing than an encouragement. So that's always kind of a, it's always a tightrope to walk to some extent. Yeah, I mean, but I don't see much of a difference between accessibility and performance. So for example, I'm just making an analogy here. In PayPal, we have a dedicated team on accessibility and they constantly audit and monitor. And if you're fading anything on that, we are not supposed to release it. I mean, that is a, that's something like very strict at PayPal. So because like engineers are actually used to it and now we are introducing a concept of performance. It's all about like getting into their mind that hate is like as important as accessibility so I think we are used to it but again I mean it's just taking some time to uh, get into our you know into the mind of the engineers and the teams I think it will happen I don't see like much of a problem in that yeah I'm a big believer in the performance accessibility sort of tie in like to some extent performance can dictate access particularly in certain areas like around the globe do you find a need to tailor any of these goals or any of the the deliveries based on the geography that you're going after like are there certain geographies that you say you know what we the, our typical goal here for interactive time or our typical weights that we might allow just aren't going to cut it here and we need to do something different PayPal has business around like more than 200 countries and currently we are not looking to separate like goals say for example for India like this is the goal or for US this is the goal we we do not want to do that because like we already have really a strong presence in all the developed countries like in the US and Europe so we are looking forward to expand into a developing countries and make a like a you know, really strong presence there so we are very strict about like maintaining the same goal like what we have it in the us to have it in our uh, developing countries also makes sense the more you introduce variants the more complexity and all that kind of stuff which comes with its own set of challenges for sure so is there any plans to roll out something like going back to your experiment like there are companies right who do like the light version in certain places like i know facebook's got their own thing that they're rolling out in certain countries that is their light facebook thing and uh there was the whole youtube experiment although i don't know that feather still exists i'm not sure i haven't looked 
But is that something that you've considered? Or again, is it more like, again, you're worried that that's going to introduce too much complexity and you're just going to make everything faster? I'll talk about like how it is in the web app world. And I'll also talk about like in the native world, how we are yeah. looking into. So in the web app world, like one of the teams may not check out teams. They did something called as a checkout light and they actually started experimenting with India. So India was their first target and uh, they're running experiments to see like a lighter version of the web app itself, like how it is going to be beneficial. Okay. In our native uh, application world also we have some concept of a hyper local use case in some of the countries our native applications serve different different purposes so something could be very specific to a region that you could belong to so that is the way that we are targeting in our native uh, application so yeah in both the worlds we are working and we are experimenting in a lighter version that's very specific to the regions and seeing like how it how it works out across sure yeah that makes sense I want to be conscious of time. There's been a lot of good stuff. We could probably go back and like unpack a little bit more, but we could save that, I think, for round two. Maybe we can coax you back on at some point. In the meantime, though, for anybody who wants to follow up and keep tabs on what you're doing or what PayPal's doing, like how do they do that? Mostly I would tweet and I'm also planning to write more blog posts about what PayPal is doing and how everybody can actually benefit. And it's a community. So for example, when we all met in Perf Matters, yeah, yeah. friends, it is a community of like-minded people who shared and discussed about, hey, what are you working on and how does my company actually gain from it? And again, sharing like what I'm working on. So a platform on a medium, like we have it for PayPal. So we constantly share um, on the technologies, on our practice that we are making. Uh, so that is a space that you can follow. And also I will be constantly tweeting about like uh, what I'm doing and like uh, more specifically on performance like for PayPal um, so those are the resources that I could think of all right well thank you so much for coming on this was fantastic always interesting to hear you know particularly at, at the scale that you're having to deal with like how you're combating those performance challenges so thank you so much thanks Tim I mean absolutely an honor to be here and thank you so much for the opportunity Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Like I said, Rufith is brilliant. I've gone back to this conversation several times already just to try and digest some of the things that she said. If you've enjoyed the podcast and you'd like to make sure that you don't miss out on any other episodes, please subscribe in your favorite podcast subscription service or application. We should be in, I think, most of them at this point. And if you feel so inclined and you want to leave a comment or review, that's always appreciated. It helps get the word out about the podcast. There's some great people coming up, some great guests, some great conversations. I want to make sure that that gets in front of as many people as possible. So that's always appreciated. Uh, the podcast is produced, as always, by Steph Colburn from Edit Audio. And the intro and outro music that you heard is done by Daryl Banner. It's the 8-bit cover of TLC's Chasing Waterfalls. So thanks, Daryl, for providing that. And thanks, Steph, for doing such an amazing job editing the podcast. And thank you for tuning in. And I will see you all next time.